Payback Time is a podcast about building businesses, wealth, and financial freedom. We try to uncover the challenges our guests faced, the mistakes they made, and the steps they took to achieve their goals. The overall objective is to provide you with a roadmap that leads to your own success. Sean Tepper is your host. Are you ready? It's payback time. Options, Forex, stocks, crypto, and startups. This episode covers it all. My next guest was a professional portfolio manager for most of his career before starting a blockchain company and an investing platform that helps investors earn consistent returns ranging between 4 and 6% per year. In this episode, we talk about his background, biggest losses, biggest gains, and how he's building a company that allows investors to earn returns with crypto safely. Please welcome Ivan Zhang. Ivan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sean. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for taking the time to join me. So we're going to be talking about your retail investing background, and then we're going to dive into your business that serves accredited investors. But first off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. So I started my career at a large bank, Bank of America. So we were focused on understanding the bank's balance sheet and how the dynamics of that balance sheet would move over time. So, hey, look, if rates go up, is that good for the bank? Is it bad for the bank? So a lot of quantitative analysis there. Also did a stint in the uh, algo execution services. So that's like where the machines will automatically trade stocks for you. Uh, if you want to buy 10,000 shares, you'll do like, you know, five shares there, 10 shares there, and you'll do it throughout the day and get that completed. My main position I've been for nearly a decade is a fixed income portfolio management. So we were responsible for managing the bank's own balance sheet simply because it was related to the previous roles I did. So it kind of was a great segue. And so the responsibility was to manage about 20 to 25% of the bank's balance sheet, mostly U.S. fixed income assets, U.S. treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, and a lot of derivatives. And then uh, after that, there was uh, had some good opportunities to try out proprietary trading, high-frequency trading. And uh, we also did a few businesses where we uh, did a crypto mining facility in 2016. And uh, all of this kind of experience made it sound like it was leading up to what I'm currently doing, which is uh, pennyworks.com. And uh, we started that company just about uh, a year and a half ago. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. We're going to dive into that business, how the business is structured, who it serves, what it does for customers in a little bit, but would love to get some context on your background. So when did you personally start investing in the stock market? Well, I, I guess, I don't know if it's legal to say, but like, you know, back in 2000, when my dad was, you know, uh, doing these brokerages and there was like uh, with net zero. I don't know if you know mm -hmm. this, but it was a company when in the dial up days, they would show ads and give you free internet. Right. And then my dad was super excited about this. Oh, this is going to be the future. And then that's how he started buying stocks. And uh, clearly that didn't do so well. And he was kind of got discouraged and was like, well, you can try it out. Right. So there was like a little bit of money in there. And it was kind of just his investment manager at a much, mm -hmm. much younger than 18 years old. Uh, so that kind of got me hooked. And then I kind of just started uh, doing a lot of trading on my own uh, all throughout my career. Everything from uh, FX to stocks to options to uh, obviously crypto. Um, and uh, also just starting businesses and just seeing how that works. Because if you think about mm -hmm. it, every one of those things are also just investments. So that's how I got my start. Can you talk about, because it sounds like you've had a big variety. Can you talk about a strategy that did not work so well? We'll talk about what did work. Well, but first, let's touch on the the any pain points or struggle points with investing you had. Yeah, so uh, definitely, I, I think a, a lot of times the biggest challenge when you start off is 
to understand that you're not going to make money every single trade. It's very difficult, right? If you are making 55 or 60% correctly, you're already like at a godlike status. But when you start, it's like, oh, I should be making money like 90% of the trades, right? Like maybe one out of 10, I'll lose money. So that's more of like a huge psychological battle. And sometimes it takes longer or faster for people to realize and kind of adjust their own mental mindset to overcome that. So that's one of those things where I had a difficulty with. Uh, and part of the time, the one most obvious period when I was trading was FX in 2008. Uh, FX in 2008, obviously in financial crisis, everything was moving like stocks, right? Mm -hmm. So I remember one day, like Australian dollar dropped like 10% or something like that. And uh, I always had this like mean reverting strategy because FX don't really move that much. But clearly, I didn't really understand the macroeconomic picture at that time. I was like, oh, Australian dollar dropped 10%. I'm just going to buy a dip. And it just kept going. So that really was kind of a pain point there. And, and at the time, I didn't have a lot of capital, but it definitely felt like the world was ending when I was doing that. Gotcha. Okay. So that's uh, foreign exchange or Forex trading, right? That's right. That's right. right. On right. like five or 10 times leverage. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of risk there, buddy. That's right. <laughs> right on. All right. So you so you learned a lesson from that. Um, and what did you transition to that was a little more safe thereafter? So uh, obviously, I just realized, like, I don't have an edge in FX, right? Like a lot of this stuff. I mean, obviously, I was young, so I didn't even understand most of what the macroeconomic drivers were. I was just looking at the charts and looked pretty interesting. I knew a little bit about interest rates. Like, well, higher interest rates is better, so people would like to hold it more. But that was it. And I was just looking at charts and just like making stuff up. So once I got more understanding of like how the financial literature, I was like, well, look, a lot of the money you're making, uh, you know, if you just like buy and hold on like a broadly diversified basket, you do pretty well, right? And so I did that for a while. And then there's also other opportunities that came up, like a futures trading and options. And that's where like, you know, quantitative analysis really, really helped out. Uh, because some of these things, it's hard to evaluate if you just like, you know, um, looking at the charts because... Some of these are very high dimensional considerations, right? A lot of the portfolios, how you optimize them, is really because it's all in relation to each other. So it's not just like one single stock. Because so, well, this stock, how does it complement the rest of my portfolio, right? And if it's a diversifier, it might be that you don't make money all the time, but because it is a diversifier, it reduces the risk, which allows you to have much more stable returns, which is good, right? Gotcha. Um, so I, you know, if essentially I went from full swing, 10, 10 times levered FX to just like broadly diversified basket of uh, indexes and things like that. Uh, and then over time, I just started adding a little bit more stuff. Like I like, I like single names, um, but then single names, you know, I don't know everything. So I was like, let me stick to the things I'm comfortable with. So I knew a lot more about tech and a lot more about finance. So I just started investing in those companies because the other ones were just like, well, I could read other people's reports, but there's really not much insights I, ha I have out of that that could be different. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's kind of where it was. Uh, and then the other one was on the financial instruments. So, you know, I learned a lot more about financial uh, derivatives and things like that, partly just because um, of uh, what I study, but also my work. So I did a fair bit in the option space that was quite profitable. Sometimes it was kind of very unintuitive, but uh, it worked out well. But then, ironically, that part actually had a lot of risk. So it was really just about uh, making sure that you had this big portfolio that was mostly diversified and you had like a small portion that you could say, well, this is going to be my highly experimental, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a pool of money right there. Gotcha. You hit on a key point is in investing in individual stocks. And that's what Ticker is big on. We analyze as individual businesses, finds businesses with really strong financial statements. So what do you look for when you're investing in 
individual stock. You mentioned you invest in what you know, which is tech and finance, which is great. Warren Buffett tells you invest in what you know. Right. Um, but where do you go from there? Uh, so there's a couple of things. So I, uh, one is, uh, so for example, what, one example that is pretty interesting is that uh, I invested in, in AMD uh, pretty early on. And that worked out pretty well in the last few years. And the reason for that is because when I started my crypto mining business, there's only two things that you could buy. You could buy AMD graphics cards or you can buy NVIDIA graphics cards. And then at that time, because of the way that they were designed, the AMD graphics cards had relatively more profitability than the NVIDIA ones. Some of it because of the price, right? The NVIDIA were just more expensive. So it ended up being that like essentially AMD cornered the market in cryptocurrency mining, which just didn't exist in 2016, 17-ish. Right. So I'll go out and call Best Buy and buy these graphics cards and it'd be like limit two person, uh, two per customer, right? Or something like that. And I'll call back with a different number or have a different accent. It's like, hey, is that the same guy? Like, why you, we can't sell to wholesalers? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm just using it for a crypto mining. So that kind of this huge, complicated discussion. So what is it what you're doing? But at least they were happy that I was not a wholesaler. So that gave me the edge. I was like, well, I understand this market. How big that could that be? And the fact that we were doing this and was profitable. And we had difficulty buying graphics cards means that, well, everyone else is in that same situation and we're not even that big of a player. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that was like, well, look, that's kind of an edge that you have because you're exposed to a specific industry. It's not even private information, but it's definitely more context than you otherwise have. Mm -hmm. So that's what those advantages. So one investment that, like, for example, right now, I feel it's pretty cool. It's not a very complicated one, but there's one, it's a closed end fund called um, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. And it's the... <laughs> Simplest business in the world. All it does, it just has a legal entity and it just buys Bitcoin. So ideally, it should just be worth the same as the amount of Bitcoin it has. But it's trading at a negative 36% discount. Um, there's a lot of reason why it goes into it. But ideally, if you can resolve that issue in two to three years, first, you close that gap, which you get that 36%. And potentially, because of other macroeconomic factors, which now I'm much more in tune with, the actual price of Bitcoin might go up. So that would be a double whammy that could give you decent returns in the next two to three years. Right. So circling back to AMD, I also hold that in my portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, we really focus on the four M's, which you've got the margin of safety, the math part, and then you get the meaning, moat, and management. Sounds like you do place a lot of emphasis on that moat, that large competitive advantage, which AMD certainly has. Mm -hmm. um, any other factors you look for when looking at an individual business? So... A lot of the other individual businesses, like obviously the metrics that you guys have, right? Most of the stuff is like public information. You have it, they have it. Maybe you have a difference of opinion, but the, the, the data is is public. So that's another one that that people are difficult to get some edge in. Another dimension that is interesting is the options market. So a lot of times it, it might be that you might not necessarily get the degree of safety or margin of safety that you like. But through options, you can actually create an additional layer of safety that would essentially give you potential returns, right? So for example, if the stock has an implied vol of like 50%, which is probably not too unreasonable for a lot of tech stocks, right? You can essentially say, hey, look, if it gets to like, you know, if it drops 20%, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy it. If you can make yourself commit to that activity, you can actually sell these puts that would basically articulate that view. And the cool part is if it doesn't happen, you actually make money. If it happens, you buy it at a discount. So at the very least, both you control um, your psychological state, but you also additionally create that additional marginal safety that you otherwise would not have, right? Mm -hmm. So if you sell at this option, uh, like maybe in like half year hence or something like that, 10% out of the money, maybe you could get like a three or 5% discount. Right. That's on top of how much you would drop 
because if you sold the put, let's say there was a fifty dollars and you sold the put at like forty, on top of the fact that you buy it at forty as opposed to fifty. Gotcha. Right. Now clearly it's not a free lunch because you miss up on a potential upside, but this is one dimension where you can say, hey, look, I could be wrong and still make money, and that's kind of a, a bet that I'm willing to take. Right. When we look at options and we talk about options a little bit here on the podcast, we kind of treat it as a strategy to create cash flow. Like if you're somebody who you have a few options with the stock market, you can continuously build wealth and keep compounding into it and don't take anything out of the market to pay yourself. Or you can use options to create like, hey, I want a residual stream of cash flow. So we like covered calls. Um, Were you using covered calls or was there another option strategy you specifically used? Yeah, so cover calls is one of them. The other one is obviously uh, symmetric. So if you don't have the option, but you want to buy in, but it's not quite the right time because the price is high, you just sell a uh, you sell a put, right? So those wouldn't be covered. You just be in a put. But essentially, if you already have the cash to buy at fifty, you'll have the cash to buy it at forty. So uh, essentially, you're fully margin in that sense, right? And the worst thing that happens is the stock goes to zero. So uh, if you mm-hmm. wanted to buy it and have a fundamental long position. That's totally uh, consistent with your view, right? So that's one of the strategies. The other one, obviously, be a lot more uh, aggressive, right? So if you do uncovered strangles, which is kind of the same thing where you sell a call, but you don't own the option, and you sell a put, uh, you don't. Uh, sorry, you sell a call, you don't own the stock, nor do you, or, you know, and you sell a, a put, you make income on both sides. But the moment it gets out of bounds, you start losing money, right? So that's kind of analogous. If you are a long short investor and you you were able and comfortable with hedging some of these things with uh, a short because that technically would reduce a lot of risk that actually could also give you additional pickup interest but obviously it's very uh very risky i've made a lot of money on on options but i would say that some of my biggest losses are in options as well so mm-hmm. it's one of those like play with fire kind of thing it yeah. it is it and that, to the audience out there that's one thing we'll be introducing with ticker is a, a course specifically on options trading we will focus on covered calls because in my opinion the lowest risk that's right that's um, right, right? <laughs> there yeah, you're sense. right there are other strategies you can use you can make some big money but you can lose a lot that's right that's yeah. right well, let's keep going here. We got a few more questions on your investing journey, and then we'll dive sure. into your business. So, how many stocks do you currently hold in your portfolio? Um, so, I have, I would say, um, my portfolio right now is split between fifty-fifty. Uh, One is just a broad basket, like index everything, and then another basket that is uh, split between the tech stocks and single names I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of where the stock portfolio uh, comprises of. Now, uh, it's not that I'm 50-50 invested fully in stocks because obviously crypto and all the other assets that I'm involved with is also in a portion of my portfolio. Uh, so that's kind of how it's diversified. In terms of the single names, there's like about a dozen. So it's more just like a barbell strategy. You have like, a, you know, fully diversified everything. And then you have like a few concentrated positions that you have more more um, more opinions on. Yep. Uh, but ideally, that shouldn't be too big of a size of your portfolio. Yeah, sounds like a nice balance between a conservative play it safe with uh, some of the funds, and then you've you've got some companies that are more in the line with uh, strong growth. I would consider them if they're like AMD. I would consider them strong growth stocks. That's right. That's yeah. right. Good for you. Um, when was your last investment? Are you, are you investing every month? So I used to invest more actively. I think that definitely, uh, given just the constraints of, of running my company now, I'm just doing a little bit less, but you know, in the last few months, there have been a lot of volatility, a lot of things changed, prices dropped a lot. So 
for me, it makes sense to, to revisit and invest in some things. Recently, I'm looking at, besides the one I just talked about, AMD, GBTC, also looking at uh, Intel, right? And literally, I wanted to get some before last week, and, you know, it's popped. Uh, and, and some of that is also driven by, you know, uh, non-financial issues because of the geopolitical situation that's more complicated now than it's ever been before, right? If you look at the supply chain of how most of the semiconductors are manufactured, there's a huge concentration in Taiwan, South Korea. Intel is basically the only shop now that makes their own chips, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of like uh, standing out in terms of that characteristics. Micron, which is another one, same thing, fully US-based company. They are, do have pretty cutting edge technology, uh, but they are essentially the one where if you think about additional geopolitical ring fencing of semiconductor flows, uh, these stocks could benefit that's above and beyond that was priced into the, uh, the markets right now. Nice, right on. Good. And thanks for the context on other stocks you're looking at too. Our, our listeners love hearing what people are looking at or investing in. So AMD, Intel, Micron, definitely in that semiconductor space, you, you have a pretty good handle on who's who. So that's great. Um, what percentage? I know you kind of dialed back in investing because your business is the priority, but what percentage of your income would you say you invest? Um, hmm. I think that's pretty volatile at this point for, for me. So we are starting okay. a company. Uh, I'm not paying myself. So technically, I don't have any income. So that would be a question that unfortunately <laughs> I'm not able to answer. Yeah. Ah, you're in the very early stages of a startup. That's right. That's right. <laughs> cool. We'll get into bootstrapping here in a second. Uh, so that's good to know. Let's talk about your returns, not 2022, because the market has been nosediving, which from an investment standpoint, that's what we want. We want to get those those on-sale stocks at an even better price. But uh, 2021 or 2020, do you know what your returns were in the market? Uh, 2021, they were very positive. The 2020 were actually fairly negative. And mm -hmm. part of the reason was um, in 2000... Well, so I was using some of these, uh, I, I got to tell you, I admit that because of COVID, right, people kind of just like got round trips, right? Uh, I've never seen a bounce so aggressive in my life. So that's definitely obviously a lack of my experience on some perspective. Mm -hmm. So some, some of these things were, uh, you know, you, you have a long, short portfolio of things and you have things that are long and you think fundamentally will do well and you have a portfolio of shorts that potentially is, well, look, it's not going to do well. But unfortunately, uh the correlations were not there such that it ends up being that like the things that I thought were short and ended up eventually dropping like over 90% in the last few months, they exploded, right? They, they essentially like, you know, 50% or doubled or more uh, in, in COVID time because you just had this uh, infinite money printing that kind of supported their equity issuances. Mm -hmm. So one example would be like Carvana, which I thought was uh, on shaky grounds and I kept, you know, and, you can see that it's already played out, but unfortunately the timing wasn't right because I was shorting this in, in 2020. You were shorting stocks. Yeah, that's a that's a risk. We we do warn our investors about that. That's right. But, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Just in case they take off, you'll run into a short squeeze, which we saw to uh what was that? Um GameStop? They had a short GameStop. squeeze. Yeah. 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 So I mean, look, uh, we I I've done some. I've done a decent amount of shorting before 2020 and I've never seen anything like it. So I've, I've done very well on certain things. Mm. Like for example, when weed stocks became legal in the United States, it was like 18 or something. So mm. I basically shorted Tilray like in the hundred plus range 
uh, all the way to zero is almost right. And so that worked out great. Uh, so some of these things were, but you know, you have to set bounds. And I had these bounds where like, hey, look, uh, don't short anything that's like less than a billion dollars in market cap, right? Because that's just like a, not a very safe thing. But uh, the unique thing is that what happened uh, during COVID is that that threshold, right, of safety has basically gone out, out the window, right? It's like 1 billion, 5 billion, 10 billion, all of these stocks now have like massive volatility where it's difficult to kind of uh, have a handle on it. So uh, unfortunately, I would say that in 2020, that did not work out well. But in 2021, like all the things that uh, kept being long, you know, just did great. Right, right. I've got two more questions here. One is your biggest investment mistake, biggest investment win. Let's touch on the mistake. Could you share with us that it could be maybe a, a trading strategy or an individual stock? What was your biggest mistake? Well, so so same thing, right? Like the I just mentioned, like some of this, the stocks that I shorted in the last mm -hmm. year, sorry, in 2020, that was definitely a mistake. And part of it is because uh, previous success, the track record of doing short, short strategies, sure. but because of the monetary uh, conditions, some of this stuff just like ran way way ahead of me, and I had like other other hedges in there, but the, those companies were much more conservative, and you know basically the relative value was that the gap would just kept going. Mm -hmm. So that's one of those things where I, I feel like that's the biggest mistake. And I think the way you would want to think about it now is that you have a series of traffic lights, right, on a variety of factors you're looking for, right. And there are tons of investment opportunities. Each one will light up certain one of these traffic lights. Right. And the fallacy is that, oh, I'm never going to find an opportunity that will match all of my criteria. And the irony here is that actually that's not true. Right. If you look, if you look long enough, you'll actually find ones that both fit in terms of maybe your short term dynamics, but also fit the longer mark macro picture, which was this, the stimulus this will on first order effect raise off boats. Right. So yeah. ideally, you would have been like, hey, look, if, if I were much more, um, conservative in that aspect of it. At the very least, like I say, well, look, uh, maybe I did do well in shorting strategies, but it doesn't fit the macro environment right now, right? So it's right. probably a pause. Gotcha. So that's kind of lesson that now I'm like much more conservative in that aspect of, of trading. Gotcha. And let's talk about your biggest investment win. A biggest investment win, I mean, obviously, uh, I think, you know, we were involved in crypto mining since 2016 in Ethereum. So that's just one of those assets went, went from like eight to $10 to, a thousand four thousand to four thousand or something like that right so i mean we were just you know we were at the intersection of finance and technology and it was clear even 2013 that this would be a paradigm shift so you know we didn't put a lot into it but it's one of those things where i've always been keeping track of the ecosystem and we've been always both investing in terms of understanding the technology in terms of why we built that business. Mm -hmm. That was actually one of the main factors. It wasn't just about making money, but it was actually just understanding how the thing worked, right? Yes. And instead right. of doing that as a hobby and just learning about it, I was like, well, why don't I actually build a, a mining facility? So that's kind of what I think what worked out very well and um, definitely one of the biggest ones. Yeah, good for you. We had another guest on. Actually, the previous guest talked about their biggest win was also Ethereum. I think they got in at like 10 to 20 bucks or something wow. and rode that up to a thousand some, you know, and we did set expectations with our audience, you know, finding investments like that is very hard. It's, it's very yes. speculative. You really, you don't have a algorithm or a, a cheat sheet that says, yep, here's a checklist and here's your investment. It doesn't work right. that way. So right, right. every once in a while. Well, it's also, put, to put it in context, right, it was both at the intersection of tech and finance. So it wasn't like, oh, I just got lucky because 
I found something random. Mm-hmm. It's that like, I oh, I really am just swimming in my lane here, right? True. And so when we saw this, it, it's because of the context of where we're working at. You just it's a little bit more clear um, than what if you were like not initiated in this this field. Mm-hmm. Good. Well, thanks for sharing your background a little bit. Right. Let's take a quick commercial break. Do you wish you would have bought some stocks earlier? Imagine you had $5,000 to invest. Let's say you bought Amazon stock in 2010. That $5,000 would now be worth over $95,000 today. Let's say you bought Tesla stock in 2013. That $5,000 would now be worth over $220,000 today. And let's say you bought Netflix stock back in 2012. That $5,000 would now be worth over $245,000 today. Do you feel like you find out about opportunities like this way too late? What if you could find great stocks before they become mainstream news? And what if a software found those stocks for you? With Ticker, you can find great stocks before what feels like the rest of the world finds out. No matter if you're a beginner or experienced investor, Ticker will help you find great buying opportunities and get a head start on your wealth building journey. Get started today with a free trial. Visit Ticker.com. That's T-Y-K-R.com. Again, Ticker.com. Let's transition to Pennyworks. Tell us about this business. What does it do? Who does it serve? Business is very straightforward. It's a cash management account. So it's almost like a savings account or, or checking account. It earns a four to 6% yield and is daily liquid. So uh, essentially replicates what the bank would do for you if they were willing to give you interest. They just don't, right? So if you look at the national average right now that's paid on deposits, it's like four hundredth of 1%, right? And then next week when the Fed, or actually this week when the Fed will raise rates, we're going to be close to 4%. So basically, the cut that the bank is taking is we're going to get 99 out of 100. You're going to get one out of 100 of, of that income pie, so to speak, right? And so what we're doing with, with Pennyworks is like, well, we don't think that's right. And so the idea here is that we're replicating the same business. We're using blockchain technology to reduce risk, to manage market risk, uh, reduce overheads because there's like no middlemen. And essentially giving back all the income to the investor. And so the way that it's structured, where I can go a little bit more in depth, but you know, there's definitely a lot to learn in this space. Collateralized lending, one of the safest form of lending. It's kind of like if you borrow against your to buy a house, right? The bank will lend you 80 cents on a dollar for every hundred dollars of house, right? Uh, and the worst case is if you don't pay back, well, they take the house, they sell it. As long as they get more than 80%, uh, 80 cents, they make their principal and interest back, right? So it's a fairly safe business, except that houses and, and cars and all those things actually take a long time to liquidate, right? First, if there's somebody in there, the victim, you get court orders and thing, and then eventually you have to sell it, it goes to the auction, right? So there's a huge amount of risk there because, I mean, obviously house prices don't move that much, but that's actually not true anymore, even for that market, right? So you could be in a situation where you're trying to sell a house in six months and the price goes up, it goes down like 10 to 20%, which like it's happened in the last few months. So that's actually introduced a huge amount of risk. And that's because of the overhead in terms of dealing with traditional real assets and things like that. Uh, analogous one in traditional finance that's a bit more close to what we're doing is stock margin lending, right? So you have a big portfolio of stocks. You want to use uh, some of the asset value to either buy more stocks or maybe to, to buy a, uh, do some home renovations or something like that. So 
So the banks will lend you against that portfolio because you know uh, you, they can always take the stocks and sell it. Now, unfortunately, even for stocks, they're not that liquid in the sense that stocks are only trading 18% of the time. They're not trading Saturday and Sundays. They're not trading in the middle of the night, right? So out of all the time, it's actually only 18% of the time you can actually liquidate something if there was an issue, right? And a lot of times, what are the biggest news events happen? Like over the weekend, right? And that's the time where you keep the worst time to do something in the markets. So to take that analogy further, when we're doing collateralized lending, when we're doing it on digital assets, they trade 24-7. It never stops. And because the computing is also on the blockchain, it's processing in real time whenever somebody gets close to their threshold liquidation. So it's actually, on the market risk perspective, much lower than traditional financial products. And there's no overhead because there's no bank to take care of it. It's just mm-hmm. a smart contract. You pay five cents, it runs, and then there you go. So we're trying to say, hey, look, this is a fairly safe product, and you have very low overhead. And when you do this um, collateralized lending, it's data liquid because it's on the blockchain. Loans are extremely short term. So you can essentially replicate the features of the same account. Gotcha. Now I'm on your site here. You've got a, like a screenshot of a mobile app. This is for iOS and Android. Is that correct? So right now it's a, it's a web app that's mobile responsive. So if you just use the, uh, got it. Yep. The, the, on the phone, it looks the same as the app, but uh, it's not a native app at this point. Gotcha. That's fine. Yeah. And you mentioned before the podcast, this is accredited investors only in the US. Is that right? That, that's right. So unfortunately, in the United States, there's a lot of regulations that are just uh, moving much slower than we would like. And so to be a fully compliant company, we had to limit it to accrediting investors. But we're working towards today that we'll be able to offer this to everybody because I think once the cat's out of the bag, people will not be able to, people will not accept the fact that the banks are not giving them any interest, right? right. right. And so that was largely an artifact of 2008 and how some of the financial architecture has changed. And people are just not used to anymore getting any interest from their accounts. And the bank's like, shh, don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> it, exactly. Like I'm with Chase and I, I love Chase, JP Morgan Chase. And, and, but I don't keep much in savings because it's at, I think, 0.05%. You know, yes. I try to keep everything in my broker, which is TD Ameritrade. Now, in That's your case, to get four to six percent, what are the individual assets behind the scenes? Are these stocks? Is it crypto coins? Yeah, so it's exactly what I said. So it'd be like Bitcoin or Ethereum. So these are like hundred okay. billion dollar market cap, uh, you know, not securities, but commodities or digital assets or sure. whatever, right? Depending on the jurisdiction. Um, and they trade 24-7 because they are exchanges on the blockchain as well. So there are centralized exchanges like a TD Ameritrade or some other Robinhood will let you trade them, right? But there's also ones that just run on the blockchain. There's nobody operating them. It's just like mm-hmm. a bunch of code that kind of polices the price. And so that makes it actually quite liquid. So anybody can trade in and out of it just finding time. The daily volumes are in the tens of billions of dollars, which makes it so that is relatively easy for us to liquidate assets, which is Ethereum or Bitcoin or some assets similar to that, and get cash. Yep. Now... Is this like an algorithm that you wrote behind the scenes that does the buying and selling, or are you leveraging another third party to do that? Right. So there's really no buying or selling per se, right? It's really just like in case the collateral drops in value, then you can call it. All that stuff is already preset into the marketplace. So we're just like a participant in these decentralized lending protocol marketplaces. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And then with your minimum investment size, do you have a, a, a minimum for people to get in? Yeah, it's actually just $500. 
500 bucks minimum for a retail That's investor. Right. It's pretty low barrier to entry. Well, I mean, unfortunately, you have to be an accredited investor, but then at the margin, if you're an accredited investor and you want to just manage your, yeah. your assets, maybe sometimes you just want to take the money out because you have a project to do. And then maybe after the project, you'll get the money back and then you just put it in. So we didn't want to create any artificial barriers that were kind of not mm -hmm. really adding value to the user experience. So we just dropped it. Now, is the four to six, is that expected or is that guaranteed return? So you can think of it as a money market fund, right? So when we say four to six means that every day you're earning approximately four divided by 365 times however much. Of course. Principal. And then we can change it any time, but you can take your money out in time because you're not committed to any period of time. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So they can pretty much, uh, I like the liquidity aspect, especially 24 seven, 365. They can just log in, um, yes. withdraw their funds and they're back in their bank account. Yeah. And that actually, is, actually is the slowest part, right? Like we can, we can get the money back into our bank account faster than we can actually send it from bank A to bank B. That's the, right. uh, the slowest part. Sure. Sure. Now you mentioned you're bootstrapping this. So you're not taking a salary. How long has this business or this site or platform been live? So we've launched the business in uh, April of this year. We started mm -hmm. like you know the incorporation and stuff a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how how long we've been involved. Got it. So it took about a year plus to build the platform. A little bit under a year, and so we've been in operation okay. about half a year. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. How big is your team? That's seven people. Seven people. All right. Are you, yeah. do you have venture capital? Uh, no, we are mostly angel fund at this point. Uh, we okay. are also a meaningful amount of self-funding, but as we're growing, since we already launched the platform now, we are looking for some seed capital. Gotcha. Okay. And how do you generate revenue? A, a transaction fee model or you take no, a so small... no fees on our platform. We just take, uh, you know, we set the rates and if the rates are attractive for you, obviously, you know, uh, place funds onto the platform. If the rates are not attractive, then then don't. Uh, we target basically, uh, you know, like a 80-20 cut idea, but we, yes. you know, don't change them that often. So maybe every couple of months or so, where we revisit the rates and make sure that uh, it's in line with market. Is it in line like, um, you know, hedge funds will have a, a two and 20 model, like 2% AUM and then 20%. Yeah. So uh, we're not doing that. So this is actually just debt securities. Uh, you're actually uh, providing us a, a loan, right? And so mm -hmm. we just set those rates and they expire basically uh, on a daily basis, which is why you can take your money out whenever you want. And so we just set the rate. If it works for you, that, that's great. Sometimes the rates will pick up a little bit. Sometimes it'll pick down. So we, we manage that volatility just to improve the user experience. But we're not Got taking a, an explicit management fee, so to speak. Got it. Okay. So it's it, what I'm trying to get at is our investors, some investors are in mutual funds, which can be closer to that 2%. And then, of course, index funds and ETFs are um, about the same returns, but you're going to pay a fraction of the percent that management fees. So there's That's no right. like, it's not like, hey, 1% is going to Pennyworks or 2% is going. It's It's nothing like that. Yeah, it's exactly like what you see is what you get. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you, yeah. So walk me through this real quick. How how do you guys make money? So we take the funds, and yep. actually, it's not, we have a big how it works tab on the site. But we take the funds, mm -hmm. convert them into stable coins, and they're just basically dollar representations. Like you know, with your software engineering background, it's just like an object that represents a dollar, but on the blockchain, right? And so then the blockchain is aware of that construct, and then it's also aware of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And so the last thing is missing is like a price feed. 
And then you just write a little smart contract that says, hey, look, if the price goes to a certain level based on how much you place with us, then we can just take your funds and liquidate it so that we can make sure they get back the amount of uh, stable coins to uh, pay back the lender, right? And mm -hmm. we essentially are just participants. These are very large platforms. Some of them have tens of billions of dollars already on them. And we are just like the lender side of that marketplace. Got it. So some kind of small percentage you're, you're taking. Is that right? That's right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you for talking about the business a little bit. At the end of the episode, we'll have you promote it and, and where people can reach out to you. But first, what I'd like to do is uh, jump into our rapid fire round. Okay. This is part of the episode where we get to find out who Ivan really is. If you can try to answer each question in 15 seconds or less. You ready? Yes. All right. What is your favorite podcast? I like um, Planet Money. Mm. Yep. From NPR. I think they have some good content. Some of them are very fun. And recently they started like building these little businesses just to understand how that works. And that's been a, a tremendous, uh, tremendously interesting set of episodes. Nice. I've heard of it. All right. What is a recent book you read and would recommend? So I, um, recently read a whole series of, uh, kind of like fantasy, uh, book. It's called like Off to Be the Wizard which I absolutely love. But the idea is kind of, you know, from your software engineering background, you'd be familiar with, they find this file that apparently it controls the entire world, right? And these are these geeks. Uh, and then what they do, well, they go back in time and they, they use those powers to become uh, wizards. And uh, the whole uh, complexity and calamity that ensues is, is kind of what the series is about. That's cool. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. You touched on, there's a little bit of sci-fi here. We'll see where we go. Uh, what is your favorite movie? Uh, Shawshank Redemption. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not yeah, sci-fi, but one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. But like, it's a story about like an accountant, right? Like, like outsmarting people. I'm like, wow, that's a, you know, <laughs> story of our times, right? <laughs> that's, that is the a very unique way to roll up that movie because there's there's a lot of like it's about redemption and and right, right. you know um going to, like pursuing your dreams and and being yes, yes. persistent but you you arrive on it's an accountant outsmarting a system <laughs> well I, I think that's the modern take about it yeah that's that's really shit. Yeah. that's great i love it all right what is the worst business or investment advice you ever received uh so this outside of investing stocks and financial investments i've invested in a play uh you know like the thing like on broadway right yeah so it's like a play and it's actually like one of the prequel of the story of how the tin man came to be and uh i actually love the play it's a it's a great play but like i just did not know anything about the economics of it so i was like hey look this could be like wicked which is like wicked famous and so like mm -hmm. i kind of just uh invested in it and uh it didn't work out well but at least i got to see the play uh, a few times so that's great Sure, sure. I've I haven't thought about plays, but I'm a big movie nerd, and I thought about investing in movies. And I've, yes. I've talked to people in that industry. They're like, your chances of making money after everybody's paid and all the red tape. It's like it's very low chance to make money. Run for the hills. That's right. That's <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Nobody told me that. I'm like, oh man. But you know, the glamour was there. But like, yeah, when yeah. you think about Wicked, and then I was thinking about. You know, movies like, for example, Deadpool had a really oh. small budget, 2016, yeah. and it just blew it out of the water by almost 10x, right. which is very rare. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so no no movie investing for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Off limits. 
let's flip the equation here. What is the best business or investment advice you ever received? Uh, it, it, the best one is basically the fact that I don't get too invested into any investment. So it's kind of emotions. Emotions is the, yes. the biggest one. It doesn't matter what you do, right? Because you can have all these fancy rules. If you don't follow the rules, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? right, exactly. Yeah. All right, and last business question here is the time machine question. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? So the irony is that I've taken a lot of financial risks, but like in terms of like a personal risk, I'm actually fairly risk averse, right? So like, I don't even like driving because I think that, you know, the uh, risk there is pretty decently high. So for me, I would say that the advice would go back, maybe go back to like, you know, 15 or 16 or something like that. It's just, be more daring, be more daring, right? Because you're young, uh, the more you try, the more you learn. And uh, that's one thing I didn't understand. So end up being that like, uh, you know, I was just afraid to do a lot of things before it took me till like, you know, uh, when I started my crypto mining business over a decade plus later. So uh, be more daring, try more things. And uh, if you can, fail fast. Yeah, yeah, yep. great advice. All right, I'll turn it over to you. Where can the audience reach you? You can reach us, pennyworks.com. We're very present on social media as well. Uh, Pennyworks, uh, company LinkedIn. I post our weekly market commentary every week. So if you want to learn the latest about what's going on, both in the, the financial markets, microeconomics, and crypto, uh, we have a little bit of everything there. Uh, please take a look, pennyworks.com to subscribe. Or we're also present on Twitter and uh, uh, Instagram. Awesome. All right, Ivan, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. All right. We'll see you. Thanks. Hey, I just want to say thanks for checking out this podcast. I know your time is valuable and there's a lot of other podcasts out there you could be listening to. So thanks for taking the time to listen to my guest story. If you did enjoy this podcast episode, could you head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review? That would be much appreciated. Thank you. And last but not least, on this podcast, uh, some episodes we do talk about stocks. And please keep in mind, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. So if you did hear any buy or sell recommendations, please don't make those decisions based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks a lot. See ya.